All right. Well, welcome to the show, Gordon. It is so great to have you here. Thank you, Tanya. It's great to be here. You know, I am especially intrigued by this episode when we're talking all about social enterprise, because it feels to me in my limited experience with social enterprise, a lot of these, uh, I don't even know if we still call them business owners, if they've, if they've set up a, a social enterprise and they are the owner, or if they're an executive director of a social enterprise as well. But it feels to me that so many of them have been so busy taking care of others' needs and trying to fulfill that purpose in life that they have forgotten to take care of themselves and their organization. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here to really shed some light again on what they can be doing to take better care of themselves so they can sustain themselves through COVID. So um, to start off, you know, I was just doing a little bit of research on your organization and it looks like, was it in 2014, you shifted to a B Corp model. I want to talk all about B Corps later on, because that sounds like a fascinating model in and of itself. But what have you been seeing from these socially uh, driven organizations and, and purpose driven organizations? What have you been seeing over the last year? Has, how has COVID really impacted many of these organizations? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, as I understand it, the move toward B Corp and purpose is picking up speed and COVID has actually sped up uh, the transition from, I'll say that sort of the old capitalist view, which is profit for shareholders is the primary purpose of any company um, to literally, you know, business as a force for good. Uh, people are, particularly young people are starting uh, new, new organizations, new entities, and everybody's trying to find the balance of profit and purpose. Uh, and it seems to be just picking up speed as a result of COVID, as a result of things like Black Lives Matter and um, Building Back Better. And it seems to be top of mind these days. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think there was a, it was what, was it a year ago that the CEO forum roundtable in the U.S. actually uh, came to the conclusion for, for the first time in history uh, that, that the primary purpose of corporations um, is, is a combination of profit and purpose. So this is really becoming mainstream. It's becoming top of mind. Uh, and I think the, the movement toward uh, purpose uh, in business is just accelerating. Oh, I Well, I'm so thrilled to hear you say that, because as you know, our through line with this show has always been about bottom line profitability, because that's what ensures the health of a business, not at the cost of purpose, not at the cost of people. So to hear that this conversation is actually picking up speed and, and the dialogue is starting to happen more and more, I think that's extremely powerful. Do you think, was this a momentum that was growing before COVID or do you think COVID really had a role in accelerating or initiating the conversation? You know, I, I think it was, it was certainly picking up steam before COVID. So this is, this is part of a longer term trend. Um, but uh, what's really interesting is that the research that's, uh, so, so, I think the world was well on its way toward this movement, but I think COVID really has accelerated it because it really, you know, when, when COVID hit, everybody had to pivot. We, we had to pivot, we had to be innovative, we had to rethink our, our business models. 
you know, the old business models weren't going to work. Um, we couldn't do things uh, live and in person with everybody. So we had to start thinking creatively. And I think that's carried over into this purpose piece uh, where people aren't afraid now to think innovatively and, hey, since we're making these other changes, maybe we should be thinking about more purpose as well. The other thing you mentioned, Tanya, and I think this is absolutely key, uh, what they're finding now, and this is um, based on a significant amount of research, um, businesses with a clear social purpose are actually as or more profitable than businesses without. And, and that also is accelerating. As businesses are learning to marry their profit and purpose, consumers are beginning to expect every business to have a purpose and to be uh, adding back to the community, adding something positive to the world. Uh, and so I, I, was, I go for walks with a buddy of mine. Uh, we walk every week and uh, he works in an investment house. And he was saying that um, virtually all of the investment firms now are looking at long-term uh, you know, uh, ESG, um, corporate social responsibility, it sort of started there, but now it's morphing into people are looking at organizations that are good for the world, uh, that, have, that have figured out the balance between profit and purpose. Um, it's not all about the shareholder anymore. And I think that's been a, a positive long-term shift. It was going to happen inevitably, but I think uh, COVID has, has just accelerated it. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, all the all the big investment firms choosing their stocks based to a large extent on the long term sustainability of the organization. Um, does it have good corporate governance in place? Is it a good community member? Um, does it look after its employees? Um, we're, we're really starting to see a significant shift, I think, throughout uh, both North America and the world. Brilliant. And can you just clarify for me? You mentioned an acronym back there, ESG. What, what is that? What, you were talking about investment houses and, and your buddy talking about ESG stocks or, or funds. Yeah, so I think it's environmental, social, and governance. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, what that stands for. Okay. And, and historically, you know, the markets have always been very short term. It's, you know, what, what's, the, what's the quarterly result? What's the return on investment this quarter? And now uh, we're seeing it in um, the big investment firms. They're really starting to focus on long term. You know, our, as I say, uh, do they have the right governance structures in place uh, to be sustainable? Are they, are they looking after the environment? And are they, are they making a positive social contribution both for their employees and the communities they serve? Mm, beautiful. I, the words that come to mind is kind of, you know, all kind of tied together, but reverence, appreciation, right? Stewardship. And um, I, I do agree that COVID, it, it, um, it accelerated that process for many because, in the, the work that, that I have seen small business owners do over the last little while, as our world has been in crisis, a, a good chunk of our, our population, the services that small business owners, myself included, are offering, we need to make sure that we're solving problems right now, right? Gone are the day of the superficial consumers and we're just throwing more product out. And now it's like, show up powerfully, solve a problem, be of service, have a purpose. And it's really forced business owners to get very clear on what their purpose is, right? And how do all of their products tie into that? And I think we're seeing, I mean, this was part of, I think, a, the larger demographic shift. And we're noticing certainly in the millennial population that they were voting with their wallets. 
right? They're saying, you know what? I'm only going to buy from organizations that are doing good for the environment, that are making positive contributions to the world. I'll find a vendor. Um, and, and now that you know vendors are online, you're not restricted to your geographical area. You can find a vendor anywhere in the world, so long as, but, but the millennials were looking for those vendors and they were looking for vendors that were doing good things and using businesses, of course, for good. Beautiful. So, yeah, no, I think we're, we're on a trajectory now where, um, as I say, it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon, which is, which is phenomenal. I mean, for the first time in, in I think our, our corporate history, uh, business is going to be used as a force for good and actually creating positive social impact. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Me too. You got me really excited about that. It, it's a long, it's a long time coming, but I'm glad it's here. And that really has been a big gift of, of COVID. So all of that feel good. I know that in the past year, you have also witnessed a number of organizations that you've worked with for, for many years through this that have felt the brunt of COVID, despite them wanting to be purposeful and um, you know, making the world a better place, their top line has suffered a little bit. What have you witnessed there? And uh, what should we be on the lookout for when it comes to either how we're generating the revenue or where we're getting that money from, from a funding perspective? I know there's lots of different models out there, but, but maybe you could share with us what you're seeing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think there's a, there's a number of trends that are causing, uh, we talked about the positive ones, um, but there's also some uh, negative trends uh, that are impacting uh, businesses and social enterprises. Uh, the demographics uh, in the developed world uh, are changing. Um, we're seeing uh, older populations, uh, lots, of, lots of baby boomers retiring today. The chief economist for Imagine Canada came out in 2019, I think, or 2020, and came out with a report that said uh, that charities and nonprofits in particular are expecting something like a $26 billion shortfall in annual revenue by 2025, um, just because of changes in demographics and uh, lower growth in GDP and other things. And that was just to deliver 2014 service levels. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing, uh, COVID, when COVID hit, it really forced, uh, well, everybody with money to reevaluate their priorities. And so in many cases, uh, if you don't have a strong business model, uh, if you don't have a strong purpose, if uh, funders uh, and consumers aren't convinced that uh, your business is the, is the best one for them to buy from, they're moving. Funders are moving funds to organizations that are having the most impact. Uh, consumers are uh, shopping at, uh, at businesses that uh, give something back to, to the community. And so I think it's, a, it's both a real opportunity uh, and a real challenge for many organizations. I know there's a significant number of charities and nonprofits, I think based on recent research, uh, something like 48% of charities and nonprofits across the country uh, expect to struggle um, and, and possibly go out of business uh, over the next few years. Uh, so, so this isn't a small thing. It's it's forcing all all people in leadership positions and organizations to really think innovatively um, about their business model, about their business structure, um, and and I think everybody's having to reevaluate everything. Uh, partly as a result of COVID, partly as a result of the 
changes in buying habits of, of millennials and it's just all of these things coming together. Um, you know, I was at a, uh, Grant Thornton put on a, uh, presentation, I guess it was about a year ago, and they said what they were noticing uh, across the country uh, is that organizations uh, that were uh, thinking innovatively outside the box, um, focusing on purpose, uh, focusing on really meeting a clear community need, uh, and, and thinking innovat innovatively about it, were actually thriving. And all of the other organizations were kind of getting by. And this was, this was pre-COVID. Uh, and again, I think COVID sort of um, exacerbated that, uh, that trend. And so we're seeing organizations that are, are really well-structured, really well-set up, thriving, and a lot of organizations that are, are continuing to struggle with outdated business models. Um, and, and so I, I think it's really going to force a lot of organizations to really rethink and become innovative. If organizations don't adapt, they'll die. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's both a, uh, a positive opportunity, but there'll be many organizations that don't make it through it. Um, so, you know, be innovative or not, your choice, but uh, the, the opportunities for innovative organizations seem to be significantly more than um, opportunities for ones that aren't innovative. Right. It, it reminds me, it's, it's that old, uh, it's that old story of block, blockbuster and Netflix, right? Yep. So it, it's as it applies here to social enterprise. So out of, out of curiosity, when we're talking about social enterprise, there is the for-profit model, right? Where they, they, they're still purpose-driven, but they might be sharing a portion of that profit uh, with a specific organization or cause that is that they're passionate about. We also have the non-profit social enterprise model, and we have charities, right? In, in terms of that model. Am I, and then we've got a, a B Corp as well, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of confusing uh, terms and concepts out there today. We've got to separate the discussions about um, legal structure, uh, structure for the Canada Revenue Agency purposes, and, um, and, and others. So just let me uh, take a stab at a few of these. Now, um, in terms of legal structure, most organizations are set up either as a, uh, as a, as a for-profit corporation or as a society under the, one of the Provincial Societies Acts. Uh, or as a nonprofit corporation under the uh, Canada Nonprofit Corporations Act. Um, and, and so those are the two primary legal structures. You can have unincorporated entities, you can have cooperatives, you know, you can have partnerships, trusts, but the two most popular are the um, are the for-profit corporation and the, the society or nonprofit corporation. So those are the structures, and by and by the way, we'll we'll talk about this in a few minutes, I imagine. But um, many organizations are uh, now working with complex legal structures. They have a nonprofit to do some things, a for-profit to do some things, and a charity to do some things, and a co-op, and a partnership, and a trust, um, depending on the nature of the organization. So rather than just using one legal entity, they're um, getting complex, more complex legal structures uh, to be able to accomplish all of their objectives. For example, um, the Canada Revenue Agency really you know, works with all kinds of different 
organizations. They deal with for-profit corporations. They deal with uh, nonprofit organizations. They deal with uh, registered charities, um, you know, co-ops, partnerships. Interestingly, they don't deal with social enterprises. So, and it creates some really interesting issues. Now, going back to the Canada Revenue Agency, obviously in a for-profit corporation, you can generate profit. CRA is absolutely happy with that. Uh, as a registered charity, you can also uh, generate profit, but there are certain restrictions. You can only do it with a uh, related business and it has to be um, subservience, the wrong word, but uh, uh, it, it can't be your primary purpose. Uh, so, it, it, so it has to be smaller than the charitable work that you're doing. And so long as those two things are true, you're absolutely welcome to build a social enterprise within your charity. Um, nonprofit organizations, on the other hand, uh, are not eligible to take on profit generating activities. If you have an intention, if you have a motive to earn a profit, the CRA says that's offside. The only way you're allowed to be a nonprofit is, is you can do anything except earn a profit. So, so nonprofit organizations, um, and these are typically societies and the nonprofit corporations under the uh, Canada Nonprofit Corporations Act, when they're, when they're incorporated and if they file their tax returns as a nonprofit organization, they're not allowed to earn profit. But if you uh, file an application and get approved to become a registered charity, then you can run these related businesses uh, so long as they're smaller than your, uh, than your charitable activities. And there's a few other regulations you've got you've to stay in compliance with. And this is why many charities and nonprofits are now incorporating for-profit organizations as they're getting into the more social enterprise world. Yeah. But, but, it, but it's interesting, the CRA isn't really, hasn't really dealt with social enterprise yet. There's still some really interesting questions because in theory, uh, only uh, historically for for-profit organizations, only expenses incurred to earn profit are deductible for income tax purposes. So now what happens to a, 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 a for-profit organization that has a social purpose that's spending money not to earn a profit, but is actually spending money on a social purpose? Technically, under the rules today, those expenses aren't tax deductible. So it's a very interesting, and, and I'm not a tax expert in social enterprises, but um, it's still, we're still finding our way with the Canada Revenue Agency because they don't have a specific, they don't have a specific set of rules around social enterprises yet. They're still trying to apply old rules to new business models. Wow. So yeah, tons in there. I think, so what I would love to get clarity on then, as we're talking about top line opportunity for these social enterprises, regardless of your structure, is each one of these entities, both for-profit, non-for-profit, um, do they all have the opportunity to generate their own source of revenue, regardless of the bottom line and the profitability? Can they go out? Uh, so again, the, the ones where there's real um, regulations and uh, formal rules are, are particularly around not-for-profit organizations or nonprofits. Uh, you can run business activities so long as you are not doing it with the intention of earning a profit. 
if you do it on a break-even basis or if you do it at a loss, you're fine. But if you have a budget that says, hey, we're going to generate an extra 40,000 or an extra 400,000, the CRA will say you're offside, you're not allowed to have a profit motive. And if you have a profit motive, you're offside the regulations and they could potentially take, take away or disallow your nonprofit status and, and actually tax you on any profit you earn. So you're allowed to earn unintentional profit. So if you have, so if you didn't plan to earn a profit, but for some reason something changed during the year and all of a sudden there was a windfall, they're fine with that. But if you have an intention or a motivation to earn a profit, they, and you do, they say that's offside. You can't use a not-for-profit organization with the intention of earning a profit, which makes sense because they're trying to make sure that people are taxable on, on for-profit activities. Well, my, to be honest with you, though, where my mind goes right away is that many of these nonprofits, I know from a provincial level, having worked with many of them, they get threatened that their funding is going to be taken away, that budgets are going to be, you know, revamped and that they're going to be cut down. And, and then they issue this, this, I don't want to say ultimatum, but they issue a challenge to all these nonprofits, find a way to be sustainable without funding. So I'm, I'm hearing a rock in a hard place. And- well Except it's really, I think, incumbent upon the nonprofits to get some good tax advice and get some good legal advice and set up the appropriate corporate structure. That's, that's a nonprofit can do all kinds of things. You just have to make sure you've got the right legal structure and are filing the right tax returns. I, so, beautiful, brilliant. That's exactly that's exactly the advice that I'm hoping all these individuals will hear. It's is get the right structure in place to help you, right, to help these organizations build long-term sustainability into their models so they're not heavily reliant on any one source, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Tanya. I think, um, I think uh, charities, nonprofits, uh, social enterprises of all stripes uh, really need to look at how to generate more own source revenue, whether that's from, uh, for-profit businesses, whether it's social enterprises, whether it's um, related businesses for charities. Um, and there's, I think I'm, I, I mentioned before, there's a wonderful organization over on Vancouver Island called the Scale Collaborative. And the Scale Collaborative is actively working with uh, nonprofits and charities across the country to get them to start thinking more like businesses uh, and thinking about how to combine for-profit activities with their social purpose so that both thrive. And so that the for-profit activities can fund more social uh, purpose and more impact. So it's actually, uh, we saw, we, I went over to Victoria a couple of years ago for a conference and they were there and they had a case study of a, a small organization that could barely afford to pay rent to the municipality for, um, to operate their daycare and provide a community meeting space. Uh, and within, I think, five years, may have been seven years, uh, the organization had $10 million in assets, was running five or six social enterprises, they owned real estate, they were a thriving organization that was providing huge value to their community. And it was all generated because they started thinking like a business and combining the, the for-profit activities with the social purpose. Uh, and I think this is where um, you know, if, if you want to be sustainable into the future and you want to have some control over your destiny, uh, I think this is the, the big trend that's uh, going to be taking um, uh, the, the social purpose world by storm. 
Yeah, so smart. So smart. And I know in business, we oftentimes to talk to founders about start with the end in mind, right? Know what it is that you're building, because then you can reverse engineer it. And you've got your starting point, you know exactly what's going to happen along the way. To your point about, you know, the the I was the word destiny, I forget exactly what word you just used there. But knowing what it is that you want to build, right? Even if it's a so, social enterprise and having that uh, having that proper structure in place. So to summarize this part, then tell me if I have this right. It, it really is about, in your words, it's this own source of revenue based on a structure that you have, taking into consideration that our federal government now, in addition to our, our provincial governments, we're not exactly sure what budgets are going to look like. <laughs> In the next exactly. year, five years, 20 years, I mean, this could be multi-generational situation, right, where we're paying back our, our deficit for uh, many years to come. So finding that sustainable source of, of revenue for yourself and your organization, regardless of your legal, legal structure right now, is it sounds like that's kind of priority number one when it comes to top line. It would be for me, when you're talking about organizational sustainability, that's job number one. Okay. No, you know, not... Uh, being content or comfortable to rely on where you've gotten your funding from the past, but really thinking about how you can generate your own source funding and gain some control over your organization um, and, and really set yourself up for success in the future. Because as you say, the revenue sources from government and others are um, at best, uh, not well, they're just not guaranteed. Uh, and so if we wanna make sure we've got the right funding, we've gotta be rethinking our business model, rethinking our legal structure, and rethinking how we're going to build own source revenues into our revenue streams. Perfect. Thank you so much, Gordon. Really appreciate all of that insight here for part one. Um, for the founders out there watching and listening, please join us for part two. We're actually going to start talking about operating expenses and some of the, um, the, the, the do I say, situations, some of the positives and negatives that uh, Gordon has been seeing uh, across this country when it comes to how we're managing those operating expenses through COVID. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in here for part two. All right, founders, welcome back. We are here for part two of building confidence and capacity for social uh, enterprises. And we're here with our Nail the Numbers Pro and guest, Gordon Hawley, who is the co-founder president of Humanity Financial, Vancouver-based accounting firm that is working with social enterprises across the country. Welcome back, Gordon. Thanks, Tanya. Thrilled to be here. So we are now going to talk about operating expenses. We've got top line out of the way, and hopefully everybody that is listening is, is uh, getting down to work on trying to figure out where they can create their own source of revenue. But as we know, uh, I was going to say, it's all about bottom line. It is not all about bottom line in this conversation. <laughs> um, but we do need to talk about operating expenses because operating expenses is a big part of business and our overall health. Uh, my experience with social enterprise is that, well, actually, no, this is my truth. My experience with most business owners is that they have not budgeted for all the true operating expenses, which is why their bottom line gets compromised. But tell me what you tend to see when it comes to social enterprises and their operating expenses, and maybe more specifically, over the course of last year with COVID, what have you been seeing? Yeah, I think, well, certainly with the charities and nonprofits, we've been seeing a lot of funders uh, remove restrictions from their funding. Historically, a lot of funders um, have restrictions. You know, you can only spend, uh, you know, 
10% uh, or 15% of our funding on overhead and administrative costs. And I think with COVID, the funders have realized uh, that organizations really did need to pivot. They needed to think about how they were going to change their business model to serve people uh, digitally and online rather than in person. Um, and so the, the funders have really uh, stepped up, I think, in, in many respects and, and removed many of the restrictions on the use of their funding. Um, so, so that's been a great direction. I mean, frankly, we were hoping it would go that way in any event, but COVID does seem to have um, moved that along. Uh, and, and funders really have stepped up and allowed organizations the flexibility to invest where they need to uh, in order to, to pivot, be innovative, and, and hopefully ensure their future sustainability. Well, that's good news. That's a that's a bonus in this. And so what um, when it comes to team and personnel, I, I know oftentimes these service based organizations are usually operating at a bare minimum, uh, counting on many volunteers. Have you have you have you witnessed them becoming more efficient in this area or, or ramping up? What what changes have you seen from a team of personnel perspective? Yeah, great question. I, I think we're we're still trying to figure out what the uh, sort of wise practice operating structure will be in the future. And this is the, you know, typically our largest costs for most organizations were always payroll and facilities. Um, and now we're seeing some discussions about those shifting potentially significantly. Some organizations have moved, uh, have actually closed down their offices and have moved to entirely virtual, um, virtual service providers. Uh, other organizations are mandating their people come back to work when and if uh, it's safe and they're holding onto their office space. Other organizations are becoming much more flexible, giving employees uh, flexibility. Do they wanna work from home? Do they wanna work from the office? Do they wanna work partly at home, partly at the office? Um, so, anyway, I think, so I think we're still uh, trying to figure out how that's going to end up, but there, it does seem that most organizations are becoming significantly more flexible around the office space and working at home. Um, having said that, I think we, I'm not sure we've figured out yet how to uh, maintain really high levels of, of employee engagement. Um, how, do we, how do we train our people? How do we keep them engaged when they're working from home? How, do, how are they still part of the team? How do we build trust? Um, and, and how do we reward our employees when they're working at home? You know, uh, historically, many organizations, you know, took people out for lunch or took people out for dinner or had parties at the office or, well, that's really hard to do in a virtual environment if people are working from home. So, um, you know, I think we're seeing uh, employment benefits. People are rethinking employment, employment benefits. What are relevant now that people are working from home? Um, you know, what kind of technology should we be providing our employees? Uh, there's all kinds of questions. And I, and I think this goes back to that sort of innovative, out of the box thinking organizations are really having to think about their business model and how they're going to structure themselves well uh, for future success. Not only the, as we were talking about earlier, the combining the purpose with the, with the profit, but also thinking about uh, how they're going to engage, engage and train and attract and, and retain um, all-star employees uh, going forward. 
So smart. So lots of efficiencies and lots of other um, alternatives to compensation. Like, as you were mentioning, the benefits, the pension plans, all those things that you can put into the operating expenses to take care of people and not necessarily have to have that reflected in their hourly wage or, or annual salary. On that note, though, I'm curious. I'm just going to throw you a curveball on this. I have you <laughs> have you ever come across a compensation model that actually, and I don't want to say fair compensation, but I have noticed that with many of these socially driven uh, purpose-based organizations, the compensation for employees tends to be on the lower side. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I don't want to get into the exact numbers there, but have you have you come across a compensation model that provides fair market salaries for many of their employees um, while still holding them accountable to deliver on that purpose where there's this really nice marriage between the two? Uh, absolutely. We're seeing more and more examples of this uh, over time. Again, as, as, as businesses start thinking about uh, not only their, the value they're creating for customers, but also the impact their business has on their employees and team members and in their communities and in the environment. Um, so, you know, as a B Corp, you know, um, uh, and, and I just want to um, mention that we just uh, got B Corp status in May 2020. So that's relatively recent for us. We did um, start working exclusively with uh, social purpose organizations back in 2014. Um, but we just got our B Corp status more recently. But, um, uh, oh, I've lost where I was going with that. Compensation. Oh, yeah. So uh, there was one organization in the U.S. I saw where it was a very successful business. And the business owner uh, actually said they were, he actually implemented a minimum salary of $70,000 a year for anybody that worked in the company. So the the discrepancy between the highest earners and the lowest earners significantly reduced. Um, and we're seeing this in other organizations. I know there's a, a consulting firm that does a lot of the same work that we do down in uh, the US uh, that recently converted from a for-profit corporation to a cooperative. And so basically everybody has the opportunity to share in the, the um, the fruits of the, of, the, of the business and the, and the success of the business. So I think we're seeing a lot more people really thinking about, uh, and this is something that we're actively thinking about. You know, the traditional CPA firm is, you know, the partners make lots of money and all the juniors are, are paid almost nothing and they work long hours. Now we're moving to models where uh, all of our people um, are working regular uh, business hours. We don't require a lot of overtime. We're moving to models where uh, our employees are making above market uh, salaries and wages. We're looking at things like employee ownership programs. You know, how can people participate in the success of the company? And, and we're not alone. There's, uh, I think there's lots of organizations that are thinking about and, and, and again, innovatively outside the box, trying to figure out um, how they can build a business that's good for everybody. Oh. I all stakeholders, right? Not just for the shareholders. Yes. For everybody. All stakeholders. I think that's a really important distinction. All stakeholders. That includes the clients. It includes the owners. It includes the, you know, the, it, it just, it ripples, right? And it's got long-term impact. Well, when we start as going through the B Corp process, we had to look at all these. We had to look at our supply chain. Are we actively selecting our supply chain um, 
uh, people, all the vendors that we use to make sure that they're having positive impacts on the environment, on their uh, workers, on their, um, uh, on their communities. Are, are we choosing to work with people who are um, designing businesses as a force for good? And, and we made some significant changes to our supply chain. Um, uh, and, uh, but, but I gotta tell you, it's been so much more fun because we know that the business, all the businesses we're dealing with now as suppliers are doing good things in the world. Um, and it just makes it a lot more fun as a business owner to know that we're supporting those businesses. Uh, and, and I think, I think this, is, this is part of an accelerating process. As more and more businesses are adopting purpose as a motive, we're really picking up speed and accelerating into that. Oh, oh so much in there I, I, I wanna dig into, but two quick segments in there is that I think that, um, one, it, you know, it goes back to the team and personnel thing and leadership. So what you're doing, Gordon, it, it inspires others to, to follow suit, right? Because they're seeing a model that is actually um, hitting all of those important buttons. So your leadership, thank you for that. That is like, that, that's got me excited about, you know, the, the possibilities of what could be. And it, um, it sounds like in that story, it's just, it's another layer of, dare I say, forced. I mean, hopefully we're all trying to be as accountable as we can be, but forced accountability, right? For every decision that we make in an organization to check in with that, that rubric or that matrix of, you know, is it hitting this, 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 yes or no, then we go and we do it or we don't do it. It's so smart. Well, it's, 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 it's been an absolutely fascinating transformation for our company. I mean, we don't, I don't profess to have it all figured out yet. We're still feeling our way, but it's so much more, for me, it's so much more fun thinking about all the ways our businesses can have positive impact on all of the stakeholders. It just makes it so much more enjoyable as a business owner to run a business instead of just having that single profit motive where it's all about me. It's all about me and everybody else be damned. No, this is how can we use our business to have a positive impact on the communities we serve, on our employees, on our team members, on, on everybody that our business, like all of our stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, so much, it's so much more fun to run a business that way. I, I, I would never have even imagined. I love it. The other reason why I really, I really appreciate the information that you're bringing to light here is that in my experience with working with, and I am going to, it, this is a, a broad brushstroke and I'm aware of that, but in my experience in working with many female owned businesses, the, the purpose is oftentimes there, but it typically comes at the cost of their financial security, right? They don't pay themselves. They don't have the, the profit, the bottom line security. And so what I love about what you're saying is that everything can be accomplished and everybody can be taken care of, all the stakeholders, including the founder in this process to, to go on and to continue to, to show up powerfully for the stakeholders and for the community. Oh, so powerful, Gordon. Thank you for all of this. Um, you know, uh, space and operating, you've already talked a little bit about how I think everybody's aware our space situation is just, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it upside down, right? Uh, overnight, and everybody has really kind of shifted how they're doing business, delivery models, where they're doing business out of. But one thing I want to, I want to tap in, actually, so before I do that, is there anything else you've been seeing on the space side before I rush through to talking about uh, reserves? 
Well, I just think that, you know, one of the things we've done, for example, is we, we don't have the level of office space per worker that we used to have. And so we're saving some costs on the, on the facility side. On the other hand, we're spending significantly more on technology and um, uh, set, making sure that our team members are set up well to operate out of their homes. So we make sure they've got a good desk and a comfortable chair and they've got a, uh, we're providing them with the same computer setup that they would have had in the office. Um, some companies are still coming around to that. There's still some companies that are requiring their workers to provide their own computers and you know, their own internet access. And so I think we're gonna be seeing a shift where companies are gonna be maybe saving some money on the rent side, but spending significantly more on making sure that their workers are set up uh, not only uh, comfortably, but also safely making sure they've got the right ergonomic setup, making sure that they've got, you know, whatever they need to, to make working out of a home office um, safe, comfortable, and an and, and attractive place to work. So it's gonna be interesting to see how these trends all play out, um, but I'm not sure this is, a, this is a windfall for businesses because we're required to have less space. I think we're gonna be investing more in technology, more in making sure our workers are, are comfortable and safe, um, and more in um, employee engagement, uh, employee training, really uh, investing more and more in our team members uh, and workers, because um, if we don't, uh, we'll lose our all-star employees. Yeah, such an important point. You're, you're right. I forgot that, yes, many of the operating expenses are increasing through COVID, right? The space is decreased, but yeah, the security, especially too, that PPE equipment, if people are out. So thank you for that. I think if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk about reserve funds, but why don't we put that into part three when we start talking about profit and purpose and can they coexist? And are you okay with that? If we move that Sounds into part great. three, give everybody a bit of a, a coffee break here, stretch their legs. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, everybody, as always, founders, feel free to download all of the tools that are provided down below. We've got the playbook and tip sheet, as well as a cash flow uh, forecast. So if you're looking to see where you're going to end up at the end of 2021, based on what your operating expenses currently look like and your top line revenue, please be sure to get that budget done. You can use the template attached. Thank you for listening for part two. We'll see you back here for part three. Welcome back, founders. We're here for our final part of building confidence and capacity for social enterprise. I'm actually quite sad it's the final part. I've been having a phenomenal <laughs> conversation. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, joining us here, as he has for part one and part two, is Gordon Hawley. He is the co-founder and the president and CEO of Humanity Financial, a Vancouver-based accounting firm that works with uh, socially driven, purpose-driven organizations across the country. So, Gordon, now our part three, we are actually going to talk a little bit about the corporate structures um, of all, I know we talked a little bit about that in part one, but let's also talk a little bit about can profit and purpose coexist? Because I am about bottom line. Nail the numbers is all about bottom line. And just so that I, I can feel the resistance of founders listening in going, oh, but Gordon just said those purpose driven business owners all about me. Um, 
the passion for me, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know this story, I actually have been through a bankruptcy. And the reason why the business didn't succeed is because there was no net profit. The revenues were there, but there was no net profit. And eight years of running, um, 2009 just finally caught up with me. And I, there was nothing left, nothing in the tank for me to, to get through those times. So this is why I believe profit is important because it, it's the capital, uh, the, it, the, sorry, the, um, the retained earnings that we put aside that allow us to weather economic downturns. Now, I know we've had a really good conversation about this. And even though some nonprofits are not allowed to profit, um, you have some great suggestions for all of these nonprofits out there and social enterprises so that they can weather economic downturns. Yeah, and this is the concept of making sure that your organization, regardless of whether it's a charity, a nonprofit, or a for-profit organization with a social purpose, um, make sure that, it's, that they're fundamentally capitalized well. Uh, and, and when I say that, that can be, it can mean many things, but for, for most organizations, it means building up some kind of reserve fund uh, over a period of time, you know, setting aside a little bit of your profit every year uh, to build up a reserve fund that can weather you in a storm. Uh, for example, you know, we had COVID hit and prior to COVID, it was, uh, we were finding it, and uh, one of the organizations I was on the board of really struggled. The executive director wanted to spend all of the money on current programming um, because that was you know, the, where we could maximize our impact. And, and she didn't feel right about holding money back. But as a board, we, we worked with her and we eventually came to the conclusion that we'd set aside 40 or $50,000 a year and we'd gradually build up our reserve so that we had you know, four to six months of operating expenses in a reserve fund. Well, I got to tell you, the whole organization was pretty happy when COVID hit and all of a sudden we had to pivot and our revenue went down for the first few months. We were thrilled to have that reserve because it gave us the flexibility to rethink our business model uh, and we could deal with low revenue for a few months. Uh, and, and eventually uh, we had low revenue for the first few months, then the revenue picked back up and we actually had a more successful year than we've ever had. Uh, but having that reserve in place is the, uh, without that reserve, we would have been out of business uh, within within the first three months. So uh, having these reserves being appropriately capitalized, having appropriate equity is really um, absolutely, um, a, a, for me, a very high priority in any organization that we work with uh, to make sure that they're financially sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in any organization, it's key. I'm curious though, in a nonprofit, how do you actually show that on the books? Do you show it as a, as a, as a reserve fund? Cause you're, and you budget for it and it's showing that a portion of the revenue that comes in gets set aside for that specific. Yeah, great question. Um, in, in, in nonprofit organizations, um, so long as you play by the rules, like the CRA does recognize that all organizations have to have some financial sustainability. So there's some leeway to allow nonprofits to build up a small um, cushion or reserve. But if the reserve gets too big, the CRA will say you're offside. So you've got to be in a nonprofit organization, you've got to be careful. Um, it's a lot easier in a charity, and obviously there's almost no restriction in a for-profit uh, organization. So it uh, depends on the, the legal and tax structure you have. Um, and, but again, we're seeing more and more organizations with more complex legal structures where they have a for-profit for some things, a not-for-profit for some things, and a charity for other things. Okay, so it, that sounds like it's a, a tax question. <laughs> 
yep. <laughs> whoever your your account is that you're working with. So let's that's a great segue though into the legal structure. So you've already kind of framed that for us overall. And and as founders are listening in, you can go back to part one where Gordon kind of mapped that out for us. But I know that you you have some, and this is some of the work that you do with with uh, organizations across the country, right? To help them better understand what legal entity best serves that intention or that purpose and how there can be a hybrid of several entities together, right? You don't necessarily need to pick one or over the other. So maybe can you walk me through that a little bit again? Yeah, now, now just to be clear, uh, for the most part, it's the lawyers that do the legal structuring, right? They're the ones uh, you, you find a really good um, uh, lawyer, whether they're focused on you know charities, nonprofits, social enterprises, uh, they can help you um, come up with the right legal and tax structure. There are, you know, over the last 10 years, many provinces and uh, states in the U.S. have been developing um, new uh, incorporation legislation, for example, in, in both the U.S. and, and uh, some states in the U.S. and some provinces in Canada, you can now incorporate as a benefit corporation. And as a benefit corporation, and the rules are a little bit different in each state and province, but for the most part, you're required to have a social purpose. Uh, and uh, in, in BC's case, I think the, the legislation just came out uh, la late last year, um, you're required to report back on the positive community impact that you have uh, every year as a benefit corporation. Um, it's still a taxable entity, but if you wanna hold yourself out as being a benefit corporation and serving multiple stakeholders, there are some reporting requirements uh, under that legislation. Now, those are different. So, you know, you can have your for-profit corporation, you can have a benefit corporation, you can have a uh, incorporated as a, as a society, uh, and you can apply to become a registered charity. Um, so the, the, regardless of the legal structure, uh, any for-profit organization, uh, which includes social enterprises, uh, can go through an application process to become certified as a, as a B corporation. And B corporations are certified by B Labs. It's a global organization. I think they're in 150 uh, industries in 74 countries in the world. They're truly global. I think there's about 3,800 B Corps now, but I think they grew by about 40% last year. And it's really picking up, uh, it's really accelerating. Um, but in order to be certified as a B corporation, you have to you have to go through an application process and tick a bunch of boxes to certify that you're doing uh, all these good things, whether it's, um, you know, uh, hiring a diverse and inclusive workforce, whether it's paying people living wages or above market wages, whether it's uh, giving back to your community and serving underserved populations. Um, you know, working on your supply chain to make sure that you've got criteria to select your suppliers that are consistent with, you know, good environmental practices and good social practices. Um, so you, you, in order to um, get certified, you need to uh, accumulate 80 points. Um, and so long as you get 80 points, you get certification. Uh, but, and then you need to recertify, I think it's once every three years. So the, so the B Corp certification uh, is available only to for-profit organizations. It's not available to nonprofits or charities. Um, so it, it does get quite confusing between the very variety of legal structures 
uh, and the uh, the certifications that are that are available now, it's it's uh, it takes a bit of time and effort to really uh, get clear about what the options are for uh, organizations that have social purpose. This is a this is kind of a new world, and and we're kind of having to to figure it out together. Mm -hmm. I think it comes back to that that initial point in part one where um, you suggested start with the end in mind know what it is that you want to build because that's going to influence what structure is most relevant right to 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 whatever that end goal is um in i suspect that you'll you'll echo this thought i know that many of the accounts that we've had on the show in the past have always talked about a collaborative approach between your accountant and your lawyer and your bookkeeper and your financial planner everybody should be on the same page everybody should be in the same room when you're discussing this is what we're looking to build and now work it out amongst yourselves and let us Absolutely. know how all these pieces start to fit together, right? And this is where it pays to, you know, A, be thinking really creatively and innovative about how you're going to combine profit with purpose. You know, what, what are going to be the elements of purpose uh, that you're going to provide to the different stakeholder groups? You know, how much profit do you want to earn? Uh, and and uh, I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, I think the general consensus now is, and and don't get me wrong, building a social enterprise is hard and not everybody's gonna be successful. You know, there are significant failure rates in small business today. Uh, some, some social enterprises and small businesses aren't, aren't gonna make it five years. Um, having said that, uh, the, org the organizations that are making the right investments today in their team members and doing these, you know, focusing on all of their stakeholders seem to have a higher likelihood of success in today's environment. And we're seeing actually that the organizations that are really focusing, um, BlackRock, one of the largest investment houses in the world, is applying social purpose criteria to the organizations that they invest in. Um, like it's almost like you, you can't afford to be solely focused on profit anymore, or at least that will be the case in the not very distant future. Uh, and, and organizations that are um, having multiple stakeholders and fo focusing on multiple stakeholders are actually becoming more profitable over the long term. You know, we used to think that investing in social purpose and investing in governance and investing in, you know, making sure we're not having a negative impact in the environment were costs um, that were going to reduce our profitability. And so we didn't do it. Now, if we're not doing it, it's actually going to reduce our profitability because um, the, the society's changed. People expect different things from our business, from our businesses and from our business owners. And they're rewarding the organizations that are thinking about their impact in the environment, um, their impact on their team members, uh, and the impact on the communities they serve. Yeah. The carrots have changed, right? Absolutely. The carrots have changed. Maybe we'll just entitle this this episode the carrots have changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you but know, it's absolutely true. It, it, it is. And I think that um you know, to your point about the businesses that don't make it, regardless of the legal structure, I, I think that, you know, back in the day, and I'm, I'm thinking about Michael Gerber right now in the e-myth, right, where you get a lot of business owners that just, they start what they start, they start their business because they are passionate about what they do, right? right. They like making the pies, they like, and COVID, as we talked about, has really shifted that, that, that perspective to say, how does the pie serve the person right now? What is the purpose in the pie? Because it can't be just about you. It, those are the people that fail, 
right? It, it has to be about what do we want to create and not just for me, but for others, for all the stakeholders, right? For everybody involved here. And that holistic, collaborative, um, convergent idea of impact for everyone, I can see why those businesses make it. Like, how could you not, right? As long as you're as long as you're, you're, you're modifying and you're measuring and to your point, you're remaining innovative and thinking throughout the process. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, uh, the, the principles in the e-myth are, are more important than they've ever been. Uh, but I think the, because they're mostly about building the right systems um, and holding everybody accountable. Right, that's really the gist of the e-myth is make sure we develop the right systems and the right processes that make sure all the jobs are getting done right so that the, the customer is getting the most value. All we're doing now is expanding that to focus on multiple stakeholders. So it's a little more complex because we're now not just focusing on the customer and profit for the shareholder. We're also now focusing on making sure we build the right team, making sure we create the right environment, making sure we've got the right culture, making sure we're, we're set up to serve multiple stakeholders. So. The E-Myth is still one of my favorite uh, books of all time. I'd recommend it to anybody starting a small business. Um, uh, and it, I think it's more important than ever. Yeah. Well, Gordon, thank you so, so, so much. It's, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned that word culture, and it is hard for me to um, believe that an organization that doesn't have this purpose-driven um, uh, initiative and incentive behind it uh, how you wouldn't infuse culture within your organization with it. Like it must just be, it, I can only imagine what it's like to work at Humanity Financial, right? Like it, it must just be the, the culture and the beauty and everybody just driven to make the world a better place and to help businesses become better and stronger. So thank you so, so much for, for investing your, your afternoon, your time with me today. Um, so much value in our conversation. Thank you. Oh, Tanya, you're very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and, and I really look forward to more conversations within our business community and our social enterprise community in terms of how we can navigate these changes uh, in a successful way. Because if, as more and more businesses become focused on uh, social impacts, uh, I think it's going to, I think we all have to work together, citizens, governments, businesses, all working together to make the world a better place. It's the only way we're going to be able to deal with things like climate change. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these incredible challenges. Uh, I think we're only the only way we're going to be able to solve them is if we all work together and recognizing that businesses have have an absolutely important seat at that table, um, I think is critical. And, and, and frankly, as I say, it's a lot more fun uh, uh, working with people that are passionate about making the world a better place. So I, I'm, I'm thrilling our journey. We're learning lots as we go. And I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about it with you today. Oh, well, thank you again. COVID was, a, COVID was a phenomenal teacher to actually show us how to start working together uh, and, and then layered in with your expertise here, Gordon. I'm, I'm excited to learn more and to look into, uh, you know, the, uh, the B Corp, the certification in that space and, and making an impact. So 
Thank you again for all that you do. Uh, your information is down in the show notes. So for anybody who wants to reach out to Gordon uh, and his team who are supporting socially based profit or purpose driven profit too, though, they can't coexist. <laughs> this is the lesson in this, um, but supporting organizations across the country. So I encourage you definitely to reach out to Gordon. You can tell this is his, his sweet spot and he is uh, he's determined and dedicated to make a difference in this space. Thank you again to our, um, our episode champion community future Saskatchewan thank you for all that you do and the purpose and the passion that you bring to Saskatchewan and our business owners and helping them to survive COVID and thrive through it so thank you Gordon again thank you and founders thank you for listening we'll see you in the next episode